Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, You guys doing so far so good? Just a few of you. Okay, we'll we'll fix that today, okay? Um, well, good to be with you today. I just, uh, if you follow me on Facebook, you know I just got back in from trying to hike the Narrows in Zion. How many of you have been to Zion National Park before you've been there, done that? Yeah, it was my fourth time there, and this time I was supposed to go in the Narrows, but it rained all day, and you know, it's dangerous if you go in there during rainy season, or if, if it rains, because you could flood and you could die and the whole time. So I'm going to have to go back and try it again a different time. So I drove 380 miles from Hurricane Utah yesterday to get back here, just so I could be with all you people. You know. Right? Right? Okay, I have an impromptu question here, not planned whatsoever, but I asked for service because I just, you know, how many of you can tell I've been growing my hair out? Have you noticed that? Somebody asked me at the bank, they me at the bank, they go, Pastor, I go, yeah, they go, you growing your hair out? Really loud and stuff like that. No, so I, I've always just, it's a personal thing, I've never liked to wear my hair short. I've been wearing it short, you know, as a pastor for decades and I like long, I'm not saying I'm going to go to here, I'm going to go more to here, no, I'm just joking, but, but I'm going, I don't know how far I'm going to take it, but I like longer hair, and you know, it's, it, but my hair is real thick, so it gets real big like a lion's mane, so I've got to thin it out, my daughter's got to thin it out for me, and I don't dye it, it's the real deal, you could pull on, come pull on if you want to later, it's all real, it's not dyed, it really is, the deal. so I don't know how long I'm going to take it, but my question is this. How many like the long hair look? Are you kidding me? I don't, you know, I don't even want to ask the rest of you anything, okay? It doesn't even matter to me what you people think. <laughs> Let's go by, yay. How many like the long hair look? I'm taking names down over there. Let's get in the message, okay? Um, today we're going <laughs> to, last week we talked about, um, in, this is our seventh one of the series. Last week was, where do I stand with you? And we went through all these different control issues and scenarios on how we can really destroy relationships. Remember, there is no spoon. Say it. There is no... Say it louder. Come on. Because it's all in our head. Did you get that one down? Yes or no? Did you get it down? Yeah, it's all in your head what's going on, and nobody else is thinking that. But today, I want to turn that from, where do I stand with you in relationship? to where do I stand with God? Because that's a big deal, because if you think about it, sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. So here's my question. Even as a Christian, in the fallen nature, though I'm born again, new creature, I still deal with shame, I'm bad and I'm wrong. Does shame affect my relationship with God as far as my ability to draw close to God? You better believe it does. And so that's why I want to take this Sunday and attack it from that perspective because too many of us um, suffer off and on in our relationship with God when we just don't have to. So today, I just want to, my prayer, my hope is that when you leave this place, you are so secure in knowing that God loves you. You're so secure in knowing where you stand with God that you will never, ever doubt these things again and wonder such things. Now, let's get into the story in Genesis 3, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to extract one thing from there to build this case today. 
So Genesis 3, 6 through 11. So here we go. You guys ready? Yes or no? Okay. Guys, I need feedback, okay? That's just the kind of guy I am. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, because the serpent said, oh, you'll be a god, you knowing good and evil, and make you wise. She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Great spiritual leadership there. That's sarcastic. <laughs> then the eyes of both of them were open. It's not a good open. And they knew. Now they have information. They have knowledge. It's not good knowledge. But now they know. There's a distorted image now that's taken place in their mind. They know that they're naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. Now to cover up the distance, the distrust, all that stuff in relationships. And made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's probably early morning because Mary Magdalene is at the garden tomb and in the cool of the day in the morning, and here comes Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. He had resurrected Christ. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. He said, here's God's question. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, let me, real quick, let me, let me rush through this to pull out the, um, the main idea for today. The nuance today. They disobey God by taking the fruit and, and they sin. Always remember the serpent, Satan's manipulating the serpent. He promises enlightenment. You eat this, you'll be a God. You'll know good and evil. You have so much wisdom, you'll be the shot caller. You decide what's right and wrong. We've gone through this in the past in the series. What's delivered once they eat is disappointment. They have shame. Shame means to be disappointed. So Satan always promises, the temptation always promises, it's going to be so good if you do this, but it'll always deliver disappointment. How many know what I'm talking about from experience? I'll raise both my feet on that one right there. Now, <clears throat> God comes to visit them as He always does, relationship, and what do they do? They hide. They create distance in those trees, more leaves. They're hiding, and Adam now admits his new view, his new view, say new view, his new view of God. He says, I was afraid. Hmm, that's interesting. Was he afraid yesterday? No. But today he's afraid because his new view of God is distorted. We'll see that later. He goes from security in the relationship to insecurity that fast. Has anyone here ever noticed, ever noticed in our fallen condition, that in our closest relationships, we can move from security to insecurity to security to insecurity. Anyone ever notice that? Raise your hand. Come on, I just got to know. Isn't that interesting, huh? How fast that can shuffle, how fast that can move like that. So, <clears throat> God comes along in all this situation, and He says, the big, here's the big question for, for today. He asks Him, who you been talking to? 
who you've been talking to, at, who is filling your mind with these ideas, who have you been listening to? That's a huge statement. That's a big question because all of our minds here, including mine, are filled with things they should not be filled with. Amen? We need to watch what we put in our mind. They used to say garbage in and garbage out. Be careful with stuff like that. And the result of the whole situation, when Adam was afraid, really what he's saying is this. Yesterday I knew where I stood with you. Today I don't know where I stand with you, God. I have insecurity in our relationship, doubt, distrust. Same thing he had now with Eve. Now he has it with God. And now there's distance. Where do I stand with you, God? And so today I want to attack that. I want to go at that, and I want to share stuff from my life again. And then I'm going to go through two points. The second point, uh, the first one's a setup. second one's we're going to hammer down. And the longer we get in that point, we're going to hammer down harder with the goal that you will leave here with a better view of who God is and therefore you can walk in a greater security knowing that your relationship with God is always intact. Amen to that one right there? So here we go. Number one in your notes. Here it is. Adam feels like he's in trouble with God. That's the way he feels. I'm in trouble with God. Now, remember, sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says... I'm wrong and I'm bad. I have a question. We're honest. We're in church. We're going to be honest, right? Right? How many of you here? How many of you here? You come into this church or any church and sometimes you feel like I'm the bad one here and everyone here is good and holy. Anyone ever feel that? Raise your hand. Come on, raise them up high. Come on. I got to see it so everybody can see that they're not the only one. Raise them up. Come on, raise them up. Stand up. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Raise them up so everybody can see that. So they know they're not the only one. This is a very common lie of the devil. I'm the only bad person here. Everyone here has it together. Everyone here is the good person. Now, better question. How many of us here, when we stumble, fumble, transgress, or sin in our life, in our faith, we feel like God is extremely or absolutely disappointed in us? Raise your hand. Raise it up. Raise it up high. Don't do this. Come on, raise it up high. Look at that. Look at how many people feel that way, okay? Now, <clears throat> why is that? Because sin says I've done wrong. Shame says I'm wrong. I'm bad. And shame means disappointed. So when we sin, we feel like God has to be absolutely, thoroughly disappointed in me. And therefore, thus, like Adam... We're hiding, we distance because we feel like I'm in trouble with God. God is angry with me. God doesn't like me. I, all the, whatever goes in your mind, that's the result right there. Now listen closely. And somebody at home. I've been in Christian 42 years. I've been in church 42 years. I've been in ministry a long time. This is why people walk away from God. This is why they walk away from church. This is why people quit serving. Because I messed up. This past Tuesday, I did this. Or what I used to be before I was a Christian, it, it just keeps replaying in your mind. And pretty soon, you feel like, I can't serve. 
I shouldn't even come here and worship. I can't be singing to God today. I'm a mess because I messed up. And so we drop out of this and we drop out of that. We drop out of church and we drop out and we drop out. We begin to distance, distance, distance. Because otherwise, if I do these things, I'm just a hypocrite. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And everything I said there is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a spiritual battle that you are in based on this whole shame issue. And so we distance. Adam, he begins to distance from his wife, does he not? And then he distances from God, does he not? Because back up. Adam, now, what Satan is accomplishing is, Adam's fellowship with his spouse is diminishing, correct? Adam's fellowship with God is diminishing, correct? Satan will always try to get you and I to diminish in our fellowship with others and with God. Any amens on that? He's always going to do it. It's not good for man to be alone. Satan goes, if that's the case, I'm going to get man to be alone. That's what I'm going to go at. I'm going to get you to be alone. Some of us take that so far, we feel like, I just can't come back. Some of you watching from your home, I just can't come back. Sure you can. Sure you can. But Satan sits there and says, mission accomplished. I got you now. I got you now. Now, let me throw out a few thoughts in point one. This is not point two yet. For somebody here, or for most of us here, or for some of us here, let me say this. Failure, a sin, is an event. It's not the person. Sin, failure, is an event, not the person, right? But shame says I'm bad and I'm wrong. Therefore, sin with the shame issue, if you don't understand it, it will turn your sin into a person, right? But failure, sin is an event. It's a moment in time. It's not the entire person. Listen, somebody here in this room or watching, you messed up here or there, and that's why you keep going back to something to numb yourself, right? Because you feel bad. Shame says I'm bad and I'm wrong. I'm gonna go, if I feel bad enough, I'm gonna go numb myself to feel good for about three hours. But after that's done, I feel bad again, right? That's not the way to go. That will never heal you. It's just another, hey, Eve, eat the fruit. Your life's going to get better. No, it's not. It gets worse. Because somebody here, your spouse gets mad at you because you keep going back to numbing yourself. You know how it goes, right? Or somebody here, because you feel bad enough, you're going to start making bad decisions. You're going to start doing sabotaging things. That's, it's, it's crazy, but that's the way the human psyche works within the shame issue. You don't want to do that. Listen, failure is a singular event. It's not your entire person. It's just a moment in time. Let me say another thing about this. I remember, it was, when I was first Christian, the first so many years, I really, it was just like, this is what I thought. This is what I felt. That when I'd be close to God, but if I sinned, I felt like I was completely away from God. We didn't have a relationship anymore. And then I'd have to say, forgive me, God. Then I'm back in again. And then when I sin, then I'm back out again. And I'm all the way in or I'm all the way out. Anybody know what I mean? Anybody know what I mean? That's called either or. Remember that? Adam's all the way in with God. Close relationship. Sin, shame. Now Adam's all the way out. I'm all the way in. I'm all the way out. That's the way I felt. I felt like if I'm doing with God, following my devotion, that's in, and I messed up, I sinned, then I'm all the way out. 
It's almost like I got to go back and pick up the number again at the post office. You're number 2007, okay? And you're going to work your way back. All the way in, all the way out. Some of us live our relationships like, or back up. What if our relationships on earth were like that? Where one day you're all the way in, the next day we hate each other. Next day we love each other. Next day we hate each other. Next day we love each other. Next day we hate each other. Some people live like that. Do they not say amen? That's brutal. And just as bad is some people live that way in their relationship to God. Do they not? I'm close to God. Oh, I messed up. I'm all the way out. And now I got to do to get all the way in. And that's what's going on here with Adam. Adam was all the way in. And now he's all the way out. And here we go. In and out. Either or. Either or. Now, Adam, he totally feels like God's got to be angry with him. God is disappointed with him. The big question that we're going to tackle now is this. Why does Adam or any of us feel like God is angry with us? Why? Why? Here we go. Point two. Adam's view of God has been distorted. Adam's view of God totally distorted. Now watch this. Genesis 3, 10, 11. Here's the nuance for the week. God has just called and said, where are you, Adam? That's going to be big later on this point. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So Adam is hiding. Adam is distrusting. Adam is afraid. And God says, who have you been talking to? Who have you been listening to? Who put that thought in your head? Where'd you get that crazy thinking? Adam now has abnormal thinking, does he not? Adam's view of God is now distorted, is it not? It really is. Now, okay, here we go. Turn to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to tackle this whole idea of a distorted image of God. It's your next book to your right if you have your Bible. Genesis 32. It's, it's the story of the golden calf. How many know the story? Say yes. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Moses has been up on the mountain nearly 40 days now, getting the Ten Commandments, talking to God, getting the whole law. And watch what happens down in the valley. In Exodus 32, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, the people assembled about Aaron. Aaron's the brother, he's the priest. Or he's going to be, I should say. And said to him, come make us a God who will go before us. How many know that's the dumbest statement you'll ever read? Make us a God who's going to lead us. If you've got to make a God who's going to lead you, how many of that's kind of crazy? Doesn't make any sense. Who will go before us? For, as for this Moses, this is the people speaking, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We don't know what's going on with that guy. He went up the mountain, he never came back. Verse 2. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Question, where do people who have been slaves for 430 years get all the gold from? The Egyptians. God told them, you go tell the Egyptians you want all this gold, all this stuff. The Egyptians are so happy to see these guys leave. Here, take it. Just get out. 
because we don't want any more plagues on our land. So now they're using the gold that should be used later on to build the temple and the utensils and the tabernacle of God. They're using that gold to build an idol. Boy, this will preach. How many Christians spend so much of their money on idols and never, ever, ever even support the kingdom of God? That'll hurt, huh? Putting our money into things that do not give us life? They give us about a week and a half of excitement? Then we got to move to the next thing? When you could be investing in the kingdom of God? Those things are eternal, am I right? Okay. Verse 3. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Isn't it amazing how fast we will turn our money over to idolatrous things that we really don't even need when it comes to God? Oh, they're just greedy at that church. Really? You know, let me tell you who else is greedy. Kohl's, TJ Maxx, the car dealership, everything you bought on Amazon this week. You ever sit there and say, well, they just want my money. Really? Why do you change your strategy or your idea of church when it's the same thing without there? Except you're investing here into things that are eternal. Any amens? Amen. Never forget that, friend. Never forget that. Verse 4. He took this from their hand. He's taken all the gold and fashioned. Say fashioned. fashioned. He fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, here's what they say. Once a calf is made, here's another dumb statement. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. How many of that's dumb? That's dumb, okay? Verse 5, watch, 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 watch. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Okay. They fabricate a golden calf. First off, where did they get that idea? Egypt. One of the things they worshipped in Egypt was the bull. Apis, the bull god. So they're bringing an old idea with them into the promised land. You know why there's so many Old Testament laws that you and I are going, why would they, God prohibit that? Anybody think that ever? Anybody? Well, it's because all those laws had to do with all the idolatrous nations around them and God wanted them to be separate and not blend into those people because they're all idol worshipers. Those laws pertained to the Israelites only traveling through that desert back then. They don't pertain to us unless you can find the same law in the New Testament. I just freed somebody here, did I not? And I just stopped you arguing over tattoos in this world, right? God, we argue over the dumbest things. Where, where was that? I just jumped off script. Okay. okay, they make the golden calf. But did you notice what Aaron said after they make the golden calf? Here's what he said. Catch it again, verse 5. He says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Did you catch what that means? It means, I've made the golden calf. We have our idol. But we're also tomorrow going to celebrate a feast to the Lord God Yahweh. Did you catch that? You know what that's called? It's called syncretism. You're syncing one with another. You're syncing them together. You're blending everything together. Let me tell you what that means. They're not replacing God. They're not replacing God. They are misrepresenting God. This is one of the great strategies of the devil. 
if I can just misrepresent God and blend them with something else, oh my gosh, I will lead them into such distortion, I will lead them away from God. If I can just get them to do that. Why do you think in Matthew 4, Luke 4, New Testament, when Satan is tempting Jesus, he gives Jesus 90% truth in the scriptures and throws 10% lie in those verses? But Jesus could see right through it. He's always trying to blend together. Now, let me try to put this whole thing together now and apply it for us. <clears throat> the past affects the present, right? Right? We've already gone through this, guys, in this series. It does. You could say, no, it doesn't. Okay, whatever. I've counseled over the years. I, I just don't counsel anymore. I, I don't have that time. I wish I did. But I know enough to know that I did it, and I've talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the years to know this. It's so many times we put mom or dads or stepdads or stepmoms or teacher, somebody's face from the past on God and think God's like that. Any amens? Any amens? You say, that's not true. I'll give you one on the real up and close personal. Guy, you marry that girl and she loves you, right? So sweet, but she can't stand her dad because he's such, 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 such. But you say, oh, when we get married, it'll be different. <laughs> oh, here we go. You'll be in my office soon. But you don't know that she has such a terrible relationship with her father and the way her father was to her that when she marries you, you wonder why she keeps blowing up at you and you didn't even do anything wrong. You're like, what did I do? Well, she, you did nothing. She takes dad's face, puts it on you, and now he's not the devil. You're the devil. Any amens? That happens so much because we take a person's face from the past and we blend it in this person in the present and now it's crazy, right? That's what we do with God. I realize in my life, and some of you know, you had a parent who was angry, you could never measure up, it was never good enough, they were distant, they were uncaring. Look, I know enough, and this is what I learned about myself and why I felt this way was, because I was blending God. I'm an adult child and alcoholic. What means, one of the symptoms is that my dad was very emotionally distant. It was him in the bottle. I understand that. I grew up to understand that. Now, like I like to say, I don't blame him. I forgave him. I'm my problem now. Amen? Quit blaming the people in your past. Fix yourself, okay? Don't be like the cancel culture. They want to cancel. They want to fix everybody else. They can't even fix themselves. Am I right? So, <clears throat> my dad was distant emotionally. You know what I felt like how God was to me? I felt like God was distant. Even as a Christian, reading my Bible, I just didn't get it. I really felt like, God, if I step out, you're not going to be there for me. You're not going to take care of me. You know how brutal that is when you're in ministry and you've got to take steps of faith? Faith, You know how brutal that is? You've got to step out. What? I'm going to step out and I'm going to look like a fool. Because it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. And it was rough because I felt like God was so far. What was I doing? I was blending God with my dad. I was taking my dad's face and put it on God, and God was not like that. When I was a student ministries pastor, you see Robert come up here with the beanie on? Don't you wish you were young enough to stay on stage with a beanie on? If I came out with a beanie on, what was that old man with a beanie on for? I when I was a student ministries pastor, 
I remember I would, God would give me ideas and I'd, we're gonna do, I'm going to do this. I thought, and then I would talk myself out of it. You know why? It's called control. If I stop from doing that, therefore I won't look like a fool by stepping out and it not happening because God won't be there. Does that make sense? So you know what I did? I finally realized what I was doing. You know what I did to solve that problem? And this is for somebody here. What I did, and now you may understand a little bit more how crazy your senior pastor is. I would now, I realized, I, I would start saying what God told me to do in front of all of you people. Because once I said it out loud and put it out there, guess what I can't do now? I can't talk myself out of it. I can't be like the cowardly lion, talk me out of it. I can't do that, you know. God, you guys don't watch Wizard of Oz? What's up with you people? And so once I put it out there, I don't want to look like a fool in front of you or like a liar, right? So now I've got to step out. Now I've got to go with what God said. And that helped me to continue to step out, step out, step out, take risk, take risk, even though it's gnawing against me that God's not going to be there for me until finally I could get past these things. You see, big part of your faith is you can't just sit there and say, okay, I got that information. Sorry, it's more about stepping out with the information and not just saying, I got information. You got to step out in the new way of life or you'll never know what the new way of life is. Any amens? And you'll never unlearn the old way. Now, <clears throat> distorted image. Let's, let's take this further. How many of you have been coming to New Beginnings more than 10 years? I just got to know. More than 10 years. Okay. Okay, you've probably heard the story, so the rest of you is brand new. Okay, so what story is it? Oh, yeah. So the night I became a Christian, I was 23. August 12, 1979. Melody Land Christian Center, Sunday evening service. David Wilkerson preaching. If you know who he is, he passed away in an auto accident. Hard nut. He's like John the Baptist type. In your face. But he got my attention. I get saved. I come home. 1979. We used to get the LA Times. Back when newspapers were popular. <laughs> right? And, you know, I get it and I go to my phone. No, I just do with you know, the long cord like a Napoleon Dynamite you know but I open it up cause, and I get the calendar remember the calendar section anybody remember that please say somebody remember that with me. okay I had to look at that every Sunday you know what I was looking for concerts what's the latest concerts because I was the guy I went to Zeppelin Black Sabbath Bowie Cooper I'm talking to the rocker behind you because he's, he's digging this right now Deep Purple saw all those guys and, the, and more and more I saw a bunch ZZ Top you know I saw them all Ted Nugent you know I opened up the calendar section and there it was my favorite band who I'd been waiting for them to finally come ACDC was coming in concert and I'm like I remember I'm two years old in the Lord I go I'm going and I got my tickets and I got a ticket for my 17 year old nephew and my best friend Tom from high school, he's going because we're both ACDC fans. So we go to the Long Beach Arena. That was a big venue back in 79. Now it'd be like, God, this place? <laughs> right? So we go in there and it's the Highway to Hell tour. <laughs> now you feeling me? <laughs> so, you know, I go in and I'm not kidding. I go in there by the second song in there I'm feeling like this is just darkness. Something in my spirit felt wrong. I'd never felt this way at a concert. I mean, I'm the guy 
that passed out from too much pot at a concert. They had to drag me out. This is who I was before. I'm the guy that painted my face up as Kiss and went to see Kiss. I'm that guy. I saw Kiss six times. <laughs> I'm that guy. You go, this is our senior pastor? And I'm just joking. <laughs> Gene Simmons was my favorite. And so, but I'm like, what? oh my gosh. And, and then my nephew, he says, I'm going to go buy a Highway to Hell t-shirt. And I go, you know, you don't want to do it. He goes, no, I want to, Uncle Jim. I go, okay. I go, I brought him into hell, you know. <laughs> he buys a t-shirt and the, and the concert progresses. And all of a sudden, here it comes. They start singing, I'm on the highway to hell. And I'm like, I'm in hell. And then in the middle of the song, my nephew looks at me and he says, I'm going to burn this T-shirt. <laughs> I go, good idea, okay. And man, I'm not kidding. I felt like I was so oppressed. Like, what am I doing here? I'm, 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 and finally the concert's over and I can't get out of there fast enough. And I'll never forget this truly, these two things really happened. I took one, I think it was my third step, Second step outside the Long Beach Arena. Third step out. My nephew says, Uncle Jim. Voice shaking. Uncle Jim, look. And I look up, and there's people up on the roof right there, about two or three of them. They have a white sheet, and they've painted in big letters on there, Heaven or Hell, take your choice. And I'm like, ah! I'm like, oh, I'm looking for the ground to open up. Oh my gosh, I'm in hell. I'm in hell. And now, I'm, oh my gosh, God, what have I done? And so now we get in the car. I've got to drive my, my friend Tom. I, got, I can laugh now. I can drive. I got to drive him home into Orange County. And I thought, I got to do, I got to get right with God. Because I felt like I'm so not right with God right now. And I started to witness to him, meaning share my faith, share my faith. I'm, I'm, he couldn't even come up for air. It was like a 45-minute drive, and I'm telling about Jesus. I'm telling him everything I knew about Jesus and everything. Pull over to his apartment. I don't even let him go. Oh, no, you stay here. I'm going to tell you some more about Jesus. And I witnessed to him another 15 minutes in that car, telling him everything I could, man. And he gets out, and I'll never forget, because I feel like i got to do something to get right with God. I'll, this, and this next thing happened. No lie. We pull, I pull out a little red sports car jets in front of me. And the license plate, my nephew sees it. He says, look, Uncle Jim. Same thing he said at the Long Beach Arena. Look, Uncle Jim. And I'm like, look, I don't want to look anymore. No. But I look, and the license plate on the front of that car was abbreviated, but it said, heavenly. And my nephew says, that's a sign. We're all right now. And I go, yeah, we're all right now. Okay, we're good with God again. I'm good. I'm back in again. Here's the question. Was my view of God correct or incorrect? It was so incorrect. I thought that God hated me in those moments. I thought that I was, God didn't want me. I got to work for it. I got to work for it to get back in. I got to get back in. I got to do this thing. I got to sacrifice by witnessing and witnessing. Totally wrong motive. I'm doing it not to save my buddy Tom, but just to get right with God. I got to keep doing this and doing this. I got to get it right. My view of God was so distorted. That's where Adam's at. He's afraid of God. Yesterday he wasn't. 
but now he is. That's what shame does. It's a blended, distorted image of God. Listen, listen, somebody. Somebody here, listen. Adam has now been preconditioned by this, and his viewpoint of God is wrong. Somebody here at home or here, you've been listening to the wrong people. You were either mistreated at a past church growing up, you listened to a teacher at college, and they have preconditioned you with a distorted view of God. And it's a wrong view. And it's made you not want to be a Christian, and I don't blame you, because if that's the way you think incorrectly, you're going to think it. But you've got a distorted view of God. But here's the danger. You're in danger of missing eternity with Jesus because somebody has given you a wrong view. They've blended it. They've made the golden calf, and they said, and let's sacrifice to God. There's syncretism there. It's a distorted view. This is what Adam's suffering from. This is part of the shame. This is what happens here. It's like this. How many have been to Vegas before? Why? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> when I was like 15, 14, 15, 16, my fa I come from a gambling family. I've shared before. And I'm talking real gamblers. When I was from age 13 to about 18, I'm not, this is no exaggeration. I would go to bed on a Friday night. My family come together, start playing poker for real money at about 10 or 11 at night. I'd go to bed. Of course, I'm a teenager. I'm not going to get up till 10 or 11 next Saturday morning. I get up, they're still playing all night. Every week. This is every week, guys. I remember they'd go to Vegas and they'd drag me with them um, when I'm 14, 15, 16, and um, they'd stay at this place right across from Circus Circus when the Riviera was there, and there was a place called the Algiers. They'd always stay at the Algiers. I'll never forget it. And it was fun on Saturday when you go swimming because, you know, it's like so cool in Vegas outside. But it comes Sunday morning. It was every time. They said, okay, we're going to check out at 11. We're going to go eat. Let's go eat. Great, let's go eat. But then at 1 o'clock or thereabouts when we're done, they say, we're just going to go gamble for an hour. How many know that's not going to happen? And the first time I didn't know this, this was going to happen. But after that, I knew it was coming. And so they go in Circus Circus. And I'd sit outside. If you ever drive down the strip, that curb, the street curb on the strip in front of Circus Circus, I know that curb personally. Because I sat there many times for hours and hours as a teenager. Because 2 o'clock turned to 3, 3 turned to 5, 5 turned to 7, 7 turned to 9 o'clock at night. And I'm just sitting out there. And I'd go in. I'd say, we're going to go? Oh, just a little while longer. But here's the thing. I didn't mean to make anybody sad right now, okay? Yes, I did. You know when you walk into Circus Circus, if you've ever been in there, they, they used to have these mirrors those, you know, that distort your image. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen those mirrors? Well, how come? No, I'm sorry. But they distort your image. You look at it, but it's like, that kind of looks like me. But it really doesn't look like me. Just kind of. Let me tell you. That's how some of us live with God. The image is so distorted. Adam is afraid. Yesterday he wasn't, but now he's afraid because his image, everything's changed in this guy's life. <clears throat> now here's the question 
How can an imperfect guy like me, or you, who falls so short of a holy God, how can this, how can this be made right? How can I avoid sitting there and wondering, where do I stand with you, God? Where do I stand? You're, so, you're holy, you're perfection, and I'm a sinner. How can I develop a close relationship with God? This is what I want you to take home now. Listen closely. In that garden, when Adam is hiding from God, and he's afraid because his image of God is distorted, God comes along and says, where are you, Adam? Question. Who's looking for who? God is looking for Adam, is he not? Is Adam looking for God? No, he's not. Did you know in, in Romans 3 that none of us, not a one of us, we never went looking for God. We've all gone astray, Isaiah 53. None of us came looking for God. God came looking for us. Am I right? And God still comes looking for us. Now let me show you what God is really like with no blurred images, with no distortion to try to resolve this where do I stand with God so that you don't run into all these mind games like I used to have to play with in my head to get all the old images out of my mind. Here we go. I'm going to take you on a scriptural run. Watch this. Luke 19.10. This is Jesus after he's dialogue with Zacchaeus, a hated sinner among the Jewish people. And Jesus eats with the guy, which means I accept you in that culture. And here's what Jesus says at the end of the exchange. He says, for the Son of Man, which is Jesus, it's an Old Testament phrase from Daniel 7 to show that he is actually God in the flesh, the Messiah to come. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is looking for who? Come on, guys. God's looking for us, was he not? Jesus comes looking for you. But it doesn't end right there. Look at Romans 5.8. It says, Paul, New Testament writer says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you at your worst, did he not? And if he loves you at your worst, he'll always love you, right? But it doesn't end there. Watch this, 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love God does not know God for what? Come on, what? God is love. Stop. Yes, God loves us and he shows love, but it's bigger than that. God is love. He is love. And guess what? When you are something, you cannot turn it off, correct? God can't turn that off. He can't change it. He doesn't veer from it at all. He looks for us. He comes after us. He loved us while we were sinners at our worst, and he can't change who he is. So he comes to a cross, and he goes there. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, sheds his blood for every one of us in this room. And if we put our faith in Christ, which most of you have, watch this. Paul writes in Romans 3, 23 and 24. Here we go. For all have sin and fall short. We all fall short. Shame. I'm bad and wrong. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all do. We don't measure up. And then being justified. I'll get to that word in a second. As a gift. Oh, I can't earn it? I can't work for it? I can't share my faith with my buddy Tom for an hour and 15 minutes to get right with God? It's a gift. It's a gift by His grace. 
meaning I, I don't deserve it, I can't earn, to the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, justified. Listen, listen, listen. Let's get the old distortions out. Justified means you've been declared innocent of all sin. I'm going to hit this big again in three weeks. You've been declared innocent of all sin. It's all wiped away. It's all gone. It's all gone. So where do you stand with God? Innocent. But Jim, you know, four days ago I did this, innocent. It's under the blood. So that means this. Hebrews 4.16. Whoever the writer is of Hebrews writes this. Therefore let us draw, draw, draw near with confidence. Adam lost his confidence and security with God in that garden. He was afraid of God. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. The gr grace, I can't earn it. I don't deserve to come here, but it's okay, Jim, come on. So that we may receive mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell for my sin. I don't get that because I'm justified. And find grace to help in time of need. I can draw near to God. I don't have to wonder, where do I stand? Where do I stand? Where do I stand with you, God? In fact, Paul, the New Testament writer, says that as a Christian, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies right now. It doesn't mean that I'm literally sitting there, but he's telling us that you're always that tight with God. And nothing changes that. Nothing does. No matter what you fumbled or stumbled or sinned this week, say, Lord, forgive me. He says, okay, but I never looked at you bad anyway. I was never mad at you. I never wanted you out of my sight. We're just going to keep going. When you understand this, you're going to sit there. When you mess up, you'll still come and serve. You'll still worship. You'll still come in. You'll still be part of the whole thing because you know, like everybody else knows, we're all a bunch of sinners. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen? If he doesn't use imperfect people like us, then no one will be saved. No one will be reached. And you'll never walk away. Let me give you the biggest thing. that I, One of the biggest, not the biggest. It's one of the biggest things. God popped this in my head yesterday. When you're driving 380 miles from Hurricane Utah, you got a lot of time to think. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21, He says, set your heart, your treasure in heaven where no one can break in and steal it and where moths can't eat it up or rust, rust it out. In other words, make Jesus the highest priority and affection of your life because no one can break into heaven and steal Jesus from you. Right? Jesus is not in heaven behind bars going, I hope no one steals me. No, no one can steal him. Now, why is that big with what I'm talking about? Well, earthly things can be taken away because Jesus in those verses says, if it's not on that, just know that thieves can break in and steal stuff. Moths can eat it up, rust destroys things. So let's put an application 
Some of you have been really hurt by others or by life. Some of you have experienced somebody you love, they walk away from you. Some of you in a marriage have experienced your spouse telling you, I don't love you anymore. I love the person at work now. I'm going with them. Some of you have lost people, whether a parent or a spouse passed away before the time or a child. And life is unfair. Bad things do happen to good people. It's a fallen world. Never forget that. And you lose people, and it hurts. It just hurts. But here's what Jesus said. Here's what an application. If my highest affection if my highest affection is for Jesus and nobody can take him away from me, nobody can steal him away, I won't lose him. Then if people on earth, if they walk away from me, if they tell me they don't love me, if my wife ever says, Jim, you know, I don't love you anymore, which she could never find anybody better. <laughs> but, uh, it would hurt if I lost one of my kids or lost, now I have grandkids or I lost one. It would hurt. But it wouldn't shatter me because my foundation is not on earth. My highest foundation is in Jesus. Nobody can take that away from me. Nobody can. And if your highest foundation isn't in God, then you're just going to go up and down your faith all the time depending on what's taken away, what happens here, what that person said, it's going to go up and down all the time. But if it's always on Jesus, number one affection, you're going to go through pain. Me too. But I'm on a firm foundation. And I'm not going to walk away from God. And I'm not going to walk away from serving. I'm not going to stop worshiping. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Because that's my highest affection. And I will trust Him. Because I'm always in right standing with God. Not because of me, but because of him and what he's done. And, what, and, and my hope is that you get that. Because when you get that, it will change everything in your life. It'll change the way you carry yourself. It'll change the way you look at things. And you won't fall to any lie this way, that way, on TV. Where You won't fall to any lie. Because you know. Because you know that you're always in right standing with God. And he's your highest affection. Amen. Let's pray. It is my hope, God, that my friends here would get this stuff and not take as long as it took this thick knucklehead me to get it. That we be transformed in the renewing of our mind. That I don't have to dwell in what I messed up in three days ago or ten years ago. I'm declared innocent. It's all under the blood. It's washed away. I'm always in right standing with God. Always. Now, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and it made kind of sense today now, and it makes a lot of sense now that this is the way to go, well, I'm really happy for you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Christ. 
Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the only God. He's the one that came down to earth because you couldn't work your way up to God. All other the false religions all over this world all say you can work your way into whatever their form of heaven is. Sorry, that doesn't work because you'll never know how much is enough because it's not enough. It'll never work. So God came down to you. God came down to you. Where are you? And he's looking for you now because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he wants you. He wants you on his team. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want everyone in this room to say it out loud. If you're here and you're going to place your faith in Christ, you say it with us. If you're at home, say it with us. You place your faith in Christ. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me while I was yet a sinner. Thank you for looking for me, for coming after me to save me. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm forgiven and declared innocent of all my sins. Thank you that I am always in right standing with you because of what you've done, not what I did. I invite you into my life. Today I follow you with my whole heart. Thank you for saving me. Okay, friends, let me pray. God, thank you for this day I thank you for anyone who put their faith in Christ if you did that please get around Christians and take find the next steps or to my left your right after this service there'll be people there prayer partners they'll guide you or go to our connection in the lobby and they'll guide you or go online to our next steps on our website and that'll guide you but you got to take next steps you have now switched teams friend you have left Satan's team and you've joined God's team. And he don't like it. And Satan's going to come full guns. But know that God has bigger guns. And God is not intimidated by Satan. In fact, Satan is thoroughly intimidated by God. But know that you're a saved person. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you believe in now. And what he's done. Thank you, Lord, that all of heaven rejoices over this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.